and welcome to Crying on My Yoga Mat. My name is JD, and this podcast is all about building a community where, alongside amazing guests, we have real conversations about the low lows, celebrate the highs, and everything in between. I know what it's like to go through life feeling stuck and powerless to do anything about it. Here, you'll meet yourself where you are and learn tangible tools to help you become who you want to be while honoring the journey. You've gotten this far, so let's keep going together. Take a deep breath. This episode, our guest is Vasya, a self-taught stick-and-poke tattoo artist and mother passionate about social justice. Before we get into this conversation, please note that there is a trigger warning for this episode. Some of the topics talked about are sexual and physical abuse, human trafficking, gun violence, and drug addiction. With that being said, let's dive right into this talk. Well, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for being here with us. It's so lovely to see your face. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So how would today you like to describe yourself? Okay, so hi, everyone. I just want to start by saying that I'm very nervous. So bear with me here as I try to get through this. Um, My name is Vasya. I'm a, a Greek self-taught stick and poke tattoo artist. Um, I'm also a mother to an 11 year old child who is actually in the next room patiently waiting and trying not to make any noise (laughs) as we record this episode. Um, I want to say that I I live, work and raise my child as an uninvited guest on the unceded Squamish, Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh territories. Um, I'm also a survivor of human trafficking. I live with PTSD and anxiety. Um, And I think uh, partially because of what I've gone through in my life, I have a passion for social justice and I try my best to advocate for human rights and for mental health awareness as best that I can. And um, what else? I'm a vegan for every reason. And um, aside from my human child, I have many, many plant babies. Awesome. That sounds like a whole lot of really good stuff. And I know I was extra excited to have this conversation with you because I really appreciate how much you stand up for the social justice issues that you see. And you have a bit of a platform and you use it for that. And I really aspire to that. So I was excited to get vulnerable with you. Thank you. (laughs) She laughs fearfully. I'm nervous, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm here for it. So if we are here for it, let's get into it. What, in your experience, has been your crying on your yoga mat moment that you'd like to tell us about? Okay, so after giving this much thought, um, my crying on the yoga mat story is actually making this podcast. (laughs) I'm not sure if, if the listeners would have already been aware of this, but this is our second time recording this episode and I just wanted to be really open and and honest about that that we've this is the second time that we're doing this um and that's really embarrassing to admit that I'm that person that required a second a second go but there it is um so the first time that we did this my anxiety level was 
like an eight or nine out of 10. I was completely sleep deprived. The nerves of doing this had consumed me. I mean, to the point that I don't even remember most of what we spoke about at the last one. Um, I mean, also anxiety shits are a thing. So I think I was partially dehydrated. (laughs) 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 And I was just in this, like this, this brain fog. And it was, you know, I, I came out of it, not really fully, even like I said, remembering what we had spoke about. All I knew was that I felt this, this heaviness in my body that told me that something, something wasn't right. Something was wrong. And, um, you know, I came into this and I had, I had decided that I wanted to do this podcast and I had, I had promised myself that I was going to be really open and and honest and vulnerable with you. And I did the opposite. I, I completely shut down. I had completely closed myself off. And I think, you know, if, if any of, um, any of the people who are listening suffer from anxiety or PTSD, they'll maybe be nodding along as I describe this, but it's, it's kind of like an out of body experience that happens when, when the panic takes over. And it's, it's people talk about, you know, like um, fight or flight, but there's also freeze, which I think was part of what happened to me last time. I completely froze and, and I, I shut down. And I think I had either completely left my body or I had kind of curled up in some deep, dark recess of my mind. And this kind of robotic version of myself came and took over to protect me and to get me through it. And I just, I wasn't present. I wasn't, I wasn't there. So yeah, I mean, it was really difficult after we said goodbye. Um, I kind of took the rest of the day to process how I was feeling and I had messaged you and and kind of said that I didn't feel very good about it then the next morning I went for a walk to kind of clear my head and a friend of mine who's who's actually in New York right now he he sent me a couple of text messages just checking in on how the podcast had gone and he offered to call me to to go through it and just seeing his text messages made me completely break down on the street I was walking around crying behind my sunglasses <laughs> and I I was thinking to myself you know like going for walks going for bike rides is, is my yoga mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's how I meditate it's how I move my body it's where I do my thinking how I process things and then it just kind of clicked and dawned on me that like holy fuck <laughs> like this is my literal crying on my yoga mat moment like this is the moment I've been searching for to talk to you about and it it took coming on the podcast to actually have that moment and I think one of the main things that I was feeling was like was I felt guilty and I felt I felt failure I felt like I had failed you Mm. I felt like I had failed myself and I felt like I had failed everyone who was going to be potentially listening to the podcast. So, yeah, I, I just want to thank you for for allowing me to do this again. Oh, I'm so happy and for- too. And I know that it's a lot of extra work for you, and I appreciate the 
the extra work and emotional labor. I really appreciate you. I kind of love the fact that emotional labor is my currently unpaid job. But if you guys want to pay me for it, I mean, feel free. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I love that you recognize that you and your body weren't quite in sync during our first talk and that you honor yourself and your audience so highly that you really messaged me really quickly and were like, I think we can do better. There's more context to it. More mm-hmm. people like can be benefited if we rehab this conversation. And I am so, so, so happy to do that quite genuinely. And it's so much fun to let go of preconceived notions and to become more and more okay with change and things not turning out the way that we think that they're going to. And mm-hmm. I, I love getting to learn alongside the listeners and the guests. And I'm intensely grateful for the learning that this has already brought. And yeah, I just want to go deeper into this conversation. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that. And this and this has been a huge learning experience for me as well. So I'm really glad that we did this. I, I absolutely have no regrets. And I'm, I'm grateful that we're doing it twice. So nice we had to do it twice. Yeah. Because <laughs> the, the heavy feelings that you're talking about are so real. And in my mind, the people that listen to this podcast are people who feel big things because I know I'm one of those people and I tend to attract those people because so many of us grew up without permission to be the bigness of our emotions people were scared Mm -hmm. of our emotions people didn't understand it and it's only in adulthood a lot of us come to allow ourselves space for ourselves or even for others so these conversations are just oh so juicy so good yeah, definitely. And, and I think, um, you know, like I've, I've been in, in places in my life where I felt like I wasn't allowed to, to speak for myself or allowed to speak up about the way that I was feeling and, and advocate for myself. And so now that I'm in a space finally in my life where I can, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to be the cause for my own silence. So I, I, I need to, I, I need to be able to, to speak up. And, and this is what I've, I've been really working on the last couple of years is to, is to speak up and speak for myself. I don't want to be the cause of my own silence. Ooh, Ooh put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> Make some tote bags. <laughs> Sustainability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's amazing how much of a threat it is because a few episodes ago we had Tilda and Tilda's biggest message was speak up for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it comes from these child roots of not being able to be heard in our homes by our loved ones, by our peers. Yeah. I mean, I want to say that like, despite, I mean, when, when sometimes when people hear a little bit about what I went through as a, as a teenager, they kind of assume that maybe there was that there was some trauma in my home life or or some sort of childhood trauma and that absolutely wasn't the case like my my home life was very very happy and i have two of the most incredibly supportive parents in the world 
they were fully supportive of, of me coming out as queer when I was younger. They've supported me through absolutely everything I've, I've ever wanted to do in my life. They've always been there as a shoulder for me to cry on. And, and um, yeah, they've done nothing but support me. So, so nothing that, um, that happened in my life had anything to do with my parents or, or my home life. I, like, I don't actually even fully understand to this day why I kind of went on the path that I did when I was younger, but I kind of fell into to, um, drug abuse and, and I, there was a, an opioid addiction for a little while there. And that kind of put me in a, a vulnerable space at a young age, because it was around 15 or 16 when, when that had started. And because of, because of the drug use and because of kind of the vulnerability that I was feeling at, at that age, I put myself in some really dangerous situations. Like, I, I mean, I was living in Greece at the time when I was, I was a, a teenager and I had just, you know, teenagers being teenagers, I had this idea to run away from home. And so I had convinced a friend of mine to do it with me. We, we packed a bag and we literally just, just left our homes in the middle of the day and didn't tell anyone where we were going and, and left. And we, you know, spent some time kind of backpacking around Greece, sleeping in parks, um, you know, at, like asking people for money on the street. We, we really had set ourselves up to be in a very um, dangerous and vulnerable situation and you know with with the drug use on top of that you know you don't really make um the best decisions you're you're not clear-headed and and because of that vulnerability we had kind of put ourselves in a situation where we were we were we were perfect for the grooming that the men that ultimately trafficked us did and um for the listeners that don't know about grooming it's sort of like a a process of kind of um manipulation and there's some like trust building that happens where these men and and sometimes women will um find people who are vulnerable and um kind of manipulate them into believing that um you can you can trust them that the, they will help you, that they will make your life better. Um, so, you know, it's kind of different from what people sometimes imagine when they think of human trafficking. Um, you see sometimes things in the movies about people being, you know, tied up with a bag over their head and thrown into the backseat of the car. It wasn't anything like that. I, I went willingly with these people. And um, ultimately, um, because myself and my friend went with these people, they they smuggled us over the northern border of Greece into Albania. And um, there's a lot of police um, corruption in that part of the world. So a lot of people might ask, like, how do you make it over a border without, you know, we didn't have any identification on us. We hadn't taken any passports or IDs. Um, but but there is a lot of corruption in the system. So it's a lot easier than you might think for, for people to, to smuggle human beings over borders. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I ended up in that, in that situation. And 
because I was smuggled over the border, I mean, at that point, um, I began to realize very quickly that the situation wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And at that point, and, and this, like when I talk about um, advocating for human rights, I was at a point in my life where every single one of my basic human rights were, were taken away from me. I had completely lost my freedom. I wasn't, I wasn't permitted to leave. I lost ownership and um, control over my own body and what happened to my body. And my body was exploited. There was, um, you know, like, I don't want to get into dirty details, but there was, you know, sexual um, exploitation and assault. There was violence. There was, um, you know, I was held at gunpoint for a lot of it. I was, um, what I ate and when I ate was controlled. When I slept, I was completely at the mercy of, of these captors. And, and there were several instances that I, I thought I would lose my, my life entirely, you know, because you know, it was really scary. And so I, you know, there, at one point, um, I remember I was crying and one of my, my captors had actually, actually kind of sat down with me and he seemed really confused. And he was like, why are you so sad? He's like, did I not bring you tomatoes and bread? Did I not bring you cigarettes? What, like, what's the problem here? Like, why aren't you smiling? And this man actually, he actually seemed to believe that because he was providing me with food and water and cigarettes, I should somehow be grateful to him and that I should smile more. Wow. You know, it's like, I mean, this is part of the reason too why I, I like freak the fuck out every time a man tells a woman to smile because it's just like certain men seeing women as as objects and just as bodies and not as as human beings. I wasn't allowed to have any any emotions. Like I existed as an object, as a body, and I was there to to serve and to provide certain things and and you know, like I was being held captive and my body was being exploited by this man and, and many men. And, you know, I was supposed to smile because he brought me tomatoes. <laughs> like, fuck you. Yeah. You know, and I couldn't, I couldn't say anything then. Like I, I wasn't able to say anything. I didn't have a voice. My voice was taken away from me. I couldn't advocate for myself. There was nothing I could do. I was, you know, I was at, at their mercy. So now that I have my voice, like nothing, nothing is going to silence me. Like mm. not the fear of going on a podcast, <laughs> not hate mail in my Instagram inbox, not Instagram and Facebook shutting down my account and putting me in social media jail. I like, I don't give a shit. Like, even though I use Instagram for my business and my livelihood, and that's how I feed myself and my child, I'm, I refuse to be silenced yeah. anymore. I just, I just, I won't do it. How did you keep yourself sane? During the experience? Yeah. There was no sanity in that experience. I had, I completely disassociated. Mm -hmm. I just like 
kind of like a, a more extreme version of what happened the first time we were recording the podcast. I completely shut down. I was living in a different part of my my mind. My body shut down to the point that like I even my bodily functions stopped working. You know, like my my period stopped. I just I I just I don't even it was just a I was a shell. And a lot of a lot of what happened I don't even remember. I get bits and pieces that come back to me even, you know, years and years later. So, you know, there's parts that I remember quite vividly and then parts that I don't remember at all. I think, you know, you're just in this kind of heightened sense of fear for as long for that long. Like it's it's bound to happen. And so and this is, you know, also why I I do have PTSD and anxiety, and that never goes away. Mm-hmm. Even years later, I still I still suffer um, because of it. I mean, it gets better. And then sometimes it gets worse. Like it's the healing isn't lineal. It's like it's it's very up, it's got its ups and downs for sure. Absolutely. If I, if we can talk about the healing journey. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I do want to say, um, before we get into that, that, that my story is really unique in the sense that I, that I was able to escape this situation. There are thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of, of people that weren't as, um, lucky as I was people spend their whole lives in these situations. They die in these situations. You hear about women jumping out of windows um, in apartment buildings. I mean, a lot of times um, people are smuggled um, by water and they drown because the boat only takes them so far and they're expected to swim. So I just, I just wanted to, to make a note there that like, you know, as, as terrible as this was, I was very fortunate that I had a like relatively short-lived experience and I was able to to go home safely and I did have the loving support of my family to return to because that's um you know 99% of the time it's just not the case. Thank you for making sure that those voices are heard when they mm-hmm. can't be heard for themselves right now. We will put a link in the show notes of how you the listener can support victims of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are several organizations that are that are great that that um, help rescue and rehabilitate survivors. So, fantastic. Well, I'm grateful that there are people like yourself that are willing and open to talk about these things and to help others who have been harmed to open up our eyes to the realities of this. To mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. sure that you are letting us know that your experience was not someone else's experience was not someone else's experience it's so important to have that reminder constantly that no one of us is a monolith and the example for the entirety of something absolutely oh yes every single story is is 100% unique it's just important for for people to be aware and to make sure that their children are aware that this kind of thing can happen to anybody and I mean, I was a Canadian citizen and a Greek citizen, but a Canadian citizen living in Greece. And, you know, the, the friend that I was with was an American citizen um, living in Greece. So nobody's immune to this type of thing. Anybody who's who's vulnerable in any way could can end up in, in a situation like this. And it can happen very quickly and um, without even realizing it. 
so yeah, I think awareness is is really important for this type of thing. People do need to talk about it and and make sure that that our children are aware that that these things do happen. Absolutely. So when you came home, mm-hmm. where did you begin? Um, healing from this didn't really begin for for many years because I did. Um, still have um, a quite serious drug problem that that got actually substantially worse after I got back. And when you're when you're using substances, you're not able, in my opinion, to process things. I think you just kind of get stuck at the point that you're at when you start using, and you really there's really no growth or or healing that happens. Mm-hmm. So my first hurdle was, was, um, was, um, healing from, from the addiction. And I had a a lot of support from my parents on that. And it was, it was an uphill battle and there were highs and there were lows and different treatment centers. And there was methadone and there was all, all sorts of things. And ultimately I just had one day I had to hit rock bottom over and over again in order to just kind of come to terms with what was going on and make the decision for myself to to stop and and to kind of live live life without without drugs and start to to process things with a sober brain Mm -hmm. and you know there's like there and and also I don't think that I was ready to process things until many years later so I think I just kind of went on with my life as if it didn't happen and and I think my anxiety got worse because of that because I just tried to try to ignore a lot of what I was feeling and push it down. My parents did put me in in various therapies and things like that, um, but I I just don't think I was ready to process. So when I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't present for a lot of the therapy that I went through. So I don't think that it really um, did anything until I got to the point where I was ready to start to start talking about it. And it's like, it's still ongoing. Absolutely. We'll never, like, it's going to be a lifelong journey for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the, the biggest things that happens when you go through a trauma, and that's any trauma, it doesn't have to be something, the same thing that I went through. There's so many different traumas that that we can go through, is you sort of, and we talked about this a little bit, earlier you kind of disconnect from your body um and also with your mind I I feel like the mind kind of fragments and there's different parts um of the brain that um that can take over like there's like I said the kind of robotic part of me had taken over you know during the last time that we recorded but yeah feeling kind of um disassociated and fragmented um it takes a lot to kind of pull yourself back together and feeling a disconnection with my body has been like a big part of my journey and um, kind of struggling with, with um, reconnecting to my body and feeling like I'm the one who's living my life. Oh yeah. Feeling like I'm in my body. I struggle with that. So I, I need to ground myself a lot and, and um yeah, grounding is really important. Just pulling myself back into my body because I do disconnect from it a lot. 
And you were saying earlier that uh, walking is kind of one of your forms of yoga. So uh, what are the other forms of grounding that really work for you? Um, so yeah, I mean, walking and bike rides are huge for me. Like I can, I get on my bike, I put music in my ears or go for a walk and put music in my ears and then just feeling like feeling the air, being outside, being in nature, moving my body. Um, I find that to be really helpful and meditative. Um, also there's this little trick that I learned from a therapist. Um, and I'm sure most people have heard about this is you, you name five things that you see, five things that you hear, five things that you feel on the outside of your body. I do that a lot. Um, uh, last time we talked a little bit about the, like uh, the toolkit, the anxiety toolkit that I had Mm. put together. Uh, I have like, um, a couple of things like, like fidget things that I'll kind of touch with my hands. Um, I have this, um, spray, like, um, essential oil spray that I kind of spray on my face and then just kind of feeling it on my face and smelling the smell will kind of bring me back. Um, sipping on water, um, all of those things help. Yeah, those are amazing. I will especially say water, good chance you're dehydrated if you're feeling some type of way. Even if you're not feeling some type of way, you're probably dehydrated. Take a sip of water. This is your sip of water break. Absolutely. Water is so important. Yeah, absolutely. This is kind of a off-topic question, but I am curious if you're willing. So you were mentioning how dissociation and how disconnecting from your body has been a huge struggle and arc in your life. And my question is, did motherhood affect that? Yes, absolutely. That's a really great question because that was actually something I did want to talk about today. Um, Yeah, I felt, I mean, yeah, I've always felt disconnected from my body because of trauma, but, but going through pregnancy and and birth and motherhood really brought a lot back for me and made me feel even more disconnected from my body I felt like I once again had sort of lost control over my body things were happening to my body that were not in my control I um um, birth itself was extremely traumatic because I had to just kind of let go and let things unfold the way that they were going to unfold. I mean, you can always have a birth plan, but things never go according to plan. I had specifically chosen, um, to surround, to, to surround myself by, by women while I was birthing. Um, so I had a doula and I had, um, I was part of a program that had both midwives and doctors and everyone was women. Um, shit hit the fan and I ended up with this, man as my doctor who um had probably the worst bedside manner possible for someone who has you know trauma and anxiety so yeah things definitely took a turn it was it was very very traumatizing I I had to ultimately give birth with um forceps so I was in, you know, an operating room. I was prepped for a C-section. I had a spinal block, so I couldn't feel any of my body from my breasts down. I was surrounded by men. There were lights on me. And I had absolutely no control of, of what, was, what was happening. And I was also in a vulnerable position on my back with my legs open and all of these men 
around me. It, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And I, I think because of that experience, you know, it's really, it's really um, sad and it scared the shit out of me. But when my baby did finally come out, I, I felt disconnected from her. And it took me a, a couple of days to fully bond with her. I felt like I was going through the motions of what I needed to, to go through in terms of, of nursing and caring for her, but I, I didn't feel that connection right away. And then when it did happen, I, it was so intense. Mm. Like, I think I actually connected with her more <laughs> because of, you know, the first few days that we went through and suddenly I was like, oh my God, like I, like I, I love this little shit so much <laughs> that it's unbelievable. Like I felt it, I felt it like physically how much I loved this, this child. And I, I would just hold her and look at her and cry and cry. And it was, yeah, it was, um, it was very, it was very intense, but, but even in the years that followed, um, you know, after we bonded and everything like that, I still kind of felt like my body existed to fulfill the role of a mother. So I lost my, I lost myself a little bit in motherhood. I lost my identity a little bit um, and definitely felt like newly disconnected from my body. And I mean, how society reacts to postpartum bodies doesn't, doesn't help matters either because everyone tells you how beautiful you are when you're pregnant and how glowing you are. And then as soon as the baby comes out, it's, it's all about the baby and the mothers are kind of forgotten a little bit. And suddenly our postpartum bodies are, are, are considered beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of like changes that happen. So yeah, all of that was, was quite difficult. And even though I absolutely adored being a mother and, and, and it was like, a and it's a, a wonderful thing. It was, I did have an internal struggle um, as I was kind of growing into the role of being a mom. If I can talk um, a little bit more on the body dissociation. Mm -hmm. So you felt you like your body had newly disassociated. Was it a different type of disassociation or did it look, feel kind of like you had something in your grasp and it was being taken again? I think, yes, I think it was feeling like I had it in my grasp and it was being taken again. Exactly. Yeah. Especially the, the, the birth experience itself was, was hugely traumatic and in a similar way to my previous traumas. There were so many parallels in your birth story and to your trauma stories. Absolutely. Just that kind of loss of control and, and feeling like you, you don't have, you, you can't really, you have no control over what's going to happen to your body and, and also being in a state of, of fear and pain. So all of that was, is like definitely brought up a lot of things for me. Not even to mention I, all the pressures of the emotional expectations, the absolutely. guilt of, oh, God forbid I ever say I did not bond with my baby the second it came out of my vagina. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Cause, and, and again, like 
I've, you know, seeing examples in movies is that the, you know, the baby comes out and comes up onto your body and it's this immediate connection. And we, I think, kind of forget that birth is a hugely traumatic thing. And it's hugely traumatic for your body, but it's also hugely traumatic emotionally as well. And, you know, there's a lot of hormones involved, like women go through a lot. And so we, we shouldn't make women feel guilty if they, they aren't immediately, you know, the, the, the star of the, of the postpartum party, you know, like everyone else is there and they're so excited and they're cracking champagne and smoking cigars and all of these things. And you're just laying there, like your body's just been through this incredibly traumatic thing. You know, you feel like shit, you look like shit, you're in pain, you know, like you, you can't even go pee because, you know, you've been torn apart. Like it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, I, and I don't want to scare the shit out of anyone who might, who might be potentially deciding, you know, it, it is also an amazing thing. And I also have a lot of friends who went through birthing stories that were, were really beautiful and they didn't feel traumatized by them. So it can go both ways. Mm-hmm. So back to the healing journey. So if it was something mm-hmm. that you kind of felt was taken from your grasp again Mm -hmm. did it come down to you bit by bit gaining everything back or regaining or relearning things or was there any moments of big like click and okay I'm there again or is it more like the gradual journey I think it's definitely gradual but I feel like I kind of had like a very, very slow, a couple of years where it was very slow. And then a couple of years where it was really fast. So I think, you know, when my daughter got to a certain age, I feel like things started to accelerate a little bit. I think I felt like I I didn't just exist as mother anymore. And I started to kind of find myself as, as a woman again, as myself again, and kind of um, relearn my identity and spend a little bit more time and energy on myself. And like, as, as weird as it sounds, actually getting tattoos and then ultimately learning how to tattoo, it was actually a huge part of me reclaiming my body and, and finding ownership over it again. It was like a, it was a way of kind of moving through the trauma um, but ultimately body reclamation, it was a huge part of that, of that for me. It was kind of like a way for me to, to own myself again. And to also say like, this is my body, this is my skin. You know, I can do whatever I want to it permanently. And it was just so like powerful and empowering a feeling to be like, you know, it, and it didn't, it didn't have to have any deeper meaning than that. People do ask all the time, like, what does this tattoo mean? What does that t- tattoo mean? And the design itself doesn't necessarily need to have any meaning at all. It's, it's the process of getting the tattoo where the meaning is held and just finding a design that you like and, and saying, yeah, this, I'm going to put this on my body permanently. Yeah. I love that thought of body reclamation. Uh, I'd love to talk about something that we talked about in our first recording that I think is mm-hmm. is a really valuable story. And that is your career transition into tattooing, mm-hmm. because that was your mm-hmm. kind of kind of a big speaking up for yourself time of your life. 
Yeah, definitely it was. Um, so uh, around the time that I I had my my child, I I started um, well, I started really getting into my photography career. So you know, up until the point that I had my child, like I had I had gone to school. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, kind of getting out of of I didn't I didn't finish my post-secondary education but I did a little bit of it and I just I felt really kind of lost and I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do career-wise I just knew that I didn't want to um I didn't want to to work for someone else I wanted to work for myself that was like my main thing yes (laughs) (laughs) and I knew that I loved photography so I I wanted I just kind of was trying to find a way that I could bring the two together and that I could I could do photography as my career and also be my own boss so I created this this um, career for myself and I grew it over you know the next few years and it became very successful and I I was traveling a lot for it I I got to go to a lot of amazing places I I was in Europe a few times a year I, I I got to go to to Asia to do to do some shoots and it, it was, I had created the dream, the dream that I wanted. I had actually created, it was there. I was living it. And, um, what we had spoke about last time was that when I got to the height of my career is when I kind of realized that it wasn't what I wanted at all. Yeah. And that I actually was dreading going to work each and every time. And, you know, the industry is really toxic and, and really, um, poisonous it's very competitive um very cutthroat and and it's exhausting it's an exhausting job and it's it can be thankless and um and I and I also felt like in my photography career I couldn't really be myself you know like I I I had to show um I had to kind of like especially in social media I kind of had to put out this kind of persona for myself mm. of what I thought my clients wanted me to be mm. and so I felt like I couldn't speak up about anything really that I wanted to speak up about I had to really watch my p's and q's and I had to make sure that you know nothing was getting out there that might affect my career and that also was exhausting and again felt like I was being muted yeah so um that's that's how I got into tattooing I, like at first I I had um decided that I wanted to try to teach myself to tattoo just as another creative outlet because I felt like I really needed something something new and um yeah it just organically turned into a career I love that it organically turned into it and that you you know, you did what you needed to career-wise to get to where you could fully sustain yourself on tattooing. Yes, yes. So it, yeah, which is which is amazing. I'm and I'm really really grateful that I'm able to have this this career and that I'm able to to be a part of other people's healing journeys. And I do have a lot of people coming to me for tattoos because they're working through their own trauma or their own body reclamation journey. Um, so I really love that. And, and yeah, to be able to do something that I love and have it as my full-time career is, you know, a second time around is, is, is a real blessing. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I mean, I, it, I'm not 
going to say that I didn't work hard. I'm going to give myself credit for that because I've worked hard building both of my careers. Um, but I do feel very grateful that I'm in a position to be able to do what I love full time and, and pay the bills doing it. One of the amazing things is is that you have also encouraged others to do the same. You've started other people along the path that you took. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've encouraged um, a few people who have reached out to me about with an interest um, in tattooing. Um, whenever I, I try my best to answer everyone who comes to me with questions about tattooing, um, because when I first started, I, I, I reached out myself and, and nobody would help me. And I did find, I do find that, I mean, all industries are toxic. And I was saying about, um, there's toxicity in the photography industry and there's definitely toxicity in the tattoo industry. And I, every year that, that I do this, I, I find out a little bit more about that. Um, but one thing that, that happens a lot with tattooing is that there's a, a certain amount of gatekeeping. So there is sort of like an like an old school mentality in tattooing that um, um, not everyone deserves to be a tattoo artist and that people need to go through um, these apprenticeships that are that are many times um, abusive. There's a lot there's been a lot of things surfacing now about what people have gone through um, during these apprenticeships. And so I believe that um, being self-taught is totally valid. And that everyone and, and anyone can become a tattoo artist if they have a passion for it and that's what they want to do in their life. Um, so yeah, I, I like to help encourage people who have an interest in it and and are potentially looking at it as, as maybe a career or, or even a hobby. I will say that it's extremely important um, to make sure that before you start tattooing anyone, even yourself, you, you fully understand um, sanitation procedures and, and you take a bloodborne pathogens course. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, ultimately I do believe that anybody who wants to be a tattoo artist can become one. And, and there's no reason why we need to gatekeep, um, this profession for people. Well, yeah, and it's so much fun because you encouraged your best friend, Lele Chan, to start tattooing. Mm -hmm. She did mm -hmm. one of my tattoos. You guys had a studio mm -hmm. together for a little bit, and you guys would have so much fun together. Oh, yeah, there's there's videos on our Instagram of us rolling around on our chairs in the studio. Yeah, it was, it was lots of fun. Who doesn't want to do something that they love with their best friend? Exactly. Uh, and there is something that you offer your tattoo clients uh, that they can do for free with one of the existing tattoos that they get with you. And what was that? Um, yeah. So um, if you if you're coming in for a tattoo with me, I do offer to tattoo a small um, little red X. Um, usually it's on your hand, but it can be anywhere. And um, basically these little red X's are to uh, raise awareness about human trafficking and to just start the conversation about about human trafficking um i've i've tattooed them on on many of my clients and i love when they come back to me and say that you know they were out and someone asked them about it and they started a conversation about human trafficking um and it's it's just a small way to to kind of raise awareness and get people talking about it that's huge and like conversations are really just the biggest crux of everything <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And it's a conversation that you probably wouldn't otherwise have um, with someone, but that little red X is just a little, is just a small reminder. 
it's almost like a little a little consent form, a little tick saying, yes, please talk with me about this topic. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And it's also a way um, for people to show their their support as well and that they're they're standing with um, survivors and also people who are still being victimized by by this type of thing. Absolutely. In your healing journey, what were some of the best ways that the people in your community supported you? When I first started feeling comfortable talking about this, I would I only really opened up to a few of my my closest friends and now I'm just kind of starting opening up to a bit of a wider audience, but definitely the most helpful um, things things for me were people just offering an ear listening and being um, supportive in their listening and not offering any way to fix anything, just like holding the space for me to share and just, just being there with me while I shared Um, even just, you know, offering me a hug or holding my hand or crying with me. This is, this is, it's an amazing way to support someone is, is to just actively listen to them and let them know that they're not alone and always ask, you hug somebody. <laughs> yes. 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 I love hugs, but not from everyone. Yes, exactly. So don't go around <laughs> hugging everyone, but just, you know, yeah. Ask first. <laughs> We're all about consent here at crying on my yoga. Yeah. <laughs> well, Vasya, this has been such a good conversation. I wonder if you have any final words of encouragement or just little tidbits for us? Yeah, just for anyone who, who, you know, feels like they, they want to start using their voice and opening up about, about something, you know, to just know that you're not alone. And that um, it's, I mean, it's not for everyone, but if you feel like you would heal a little bit more or become a little more empowered by, by speaking out about something, you should absolutely do it and you'd be surprised at the community that's out there that will will welcome you and hold you in in that space um so i definitely in, encourage it and i you know if people are are welcome to reach out to me and on in my dms on social media i mean i get a lot of messages i can't answer absolutely everybody but i do see um messages and and i have responded so if you if you need encouragement or advice I'm, I'm definitely here for it awesome and so what is your Instagram um it's just my name Vasya so it's at V-A-S-I-A perfect and are there any other ways that we can reach you or support you um you can I do have a website it's VasyaMyName.ca um other than that Instagram's the best way fantastic well Vasya thank you so much for being so dang self-aware and really making sure that you felt safe and comfortable with the conversation that we are putting out there in the world because you are so strong in your values and I freaking love it. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thanks for holding the space for me to do this twice. And, and I appreciate all your encouraging words and messages. And yeah, I'm really happy that we did this. So happy. Oh, all right. Well, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media. You can tag me on Instagram at crying on my yoga mat so I can see what you're learning and loving about the show. Until next time.